Happy Labor Day weekend. My name is Justin. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City. Thank you for joining us today, whether you are online with us on YouTube or here in Minor Elementary. Uh, I missed being with you all last weekend. I was finally able to take a break this summer. I headed to London for a few days. Uh, some of you know that um, I lived there for many years. It was a wonderful time of resting and reconnecting with some of my oldest and dearest friends, taking many a trip down memory lane, visiting favorite restaurants and old haunts. And As a bonus, I got to see uh, Arsenal Football Club, the soccer team I support, live at Emirates Stadium for the first time in 12 years, um, together with two of, two of those close friends, Kaz and Tim. And this trip has felt particularly significant because um, I realized that it has now been just over 20 years since I became friends with them. We met when I was in college. Kaz and I shared an apartment. Uh, we were sharing an apartment when 9-11 happened. Actually, we were together that afternoon in London watching it on TV. And Tim and I became best friends, served as each other's best man at our respective weddings, over 20 years of friendship. When we, didn't, when we, when we first met, we didn't have jobs, spouses, kids, or mortgage payments. When we met, we could eat whatever we wanted with no bodily repercussions. <laughs> And we could make it through a day on far less sleep than is recommended by medical professionals. And so let me ask you, where were you 20 years ago? 2002. For some here, or teen city folks, you weren't even a gleam in your parents' eyes. <laughs> For others, maybe you were learning to walk, starting school of some sort, elementary, middle, high, or college. Some were getting married, some were beginning to have the kids, some were making a shift in their career or moving to a new place. Maybe you were rethinking your life, maybe you were rethinking your place in this world in the aftermath of 9-11. Who were you? What were you doing? What did your faith look like? How did you understand love? 20 years ago, I had just come back to faith. I had discovered the reality of God for myself, not just something to be inherited from my parents, as grateful as I am for their example. 20 years ago, I had just begun my first serious dating relationship, a path that would tiptoe up to the edge of marriage, but no further. And 20 years ago, I had just made a friend who would, over the years, become one of my best. I've been thinking a lot about old things and new things, milestones and markers, I'm thinking about it quite a lot lately. As I said, it's been two decades since that pivotal spiritual moment, claiming my faith for myself. It's led me to think about, you know, how that journey has progressed. Uh, the, the many trials and, and, and tears that God has walked me through, the, the laughter and the, and the joys as well. And then um, I turned 40 this November. There are questions that I'm asking about my soul, about my body, about my relationships, about the places I want to and I'm able to be present, about my habits and my practices, and also just the things that I've drifted into. This November will also mark 10 years since my wife Carolyn and I started dating. If you're curious, I asked her out on my 30th birthday. Our son Daniel just started pre-K-3, and that's been its own adventure. It's not even been a week. But all across the board, there are wrestlings and wonderings in me about these next 10 years, however much God's grace allows me to experience. 
I've also been thinking a lot about old things and new things for us, Christ City. Our milestones and markers. We are entering our 10th year as a worshiping community here in Minor Elementary's cafeteria. We started meeting right here in summer 2013, 483 weeks ago, to be precise. 483 weeks of prayer and preaching, of service and song, of communion and community. In this place, in this neighborhood, with these people, And just a month ago, we celebrated five years as Christ City Church, as our own body of uh, of believers. And today, I want us to consider the next five, where we will be at 10 years old in 2027. As I was praying and preparing for today, God brought Isaiah 43 to mind. It was written to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Jerusalem had been sacked. Their temple had been demolished. And the people had been taken into captivity in a pagan empire. This is where the story of Daniel in the lion's den would take place. This is a story of where the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be put into the fiery furnace. That's where that story would take place. This was not a happy time for the people. This was not a time of prosperity. It was a time of anguish, despair, a time of waiting longer than seemed bearable. It was a time of dreams deferred and hope extinguished. And yet to these people, God brought a word through the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down and they cannot rise. They are extinguished. They're quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise to a people in need, to a people in despair, to a people disappointed, a message of hope and restoration, of God's coming deliverance. What God, through the prophet, is referencing there in the beginning is is the Exodus, right? God made a way in the Red Sea. God made a path in the mighty waters so that the people of Israel could walk through. God brought down the armies of Egypt. God brought down the chariots and the horses and the warriors so that they could no longer pursue them. It was one of the most most memorable, most defining, greatest uh, identity-forming experiences in the history of the people of Israel. It was the beginning of a new era new kind of existence as free and liberated as people of God. This was the era of the Ten Commandments. This was the era of victory over God's enemies, the era of the Lord's presence with them, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And yet what does it say in verse 18? Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. What does that mean when at almost every turn God does tell his people, remember, remember, remember? What does that mean? What does that mean when the former things led us to where we are? You see, we've heard that line used before in our American context, right? Why are we dwelling on the past? 
especially when it pertains to injustice and white supremacy. Why are we dwelling on the past? It's important to know and name how we ended up where we are from a personal level all the way up to a national and global level. How will we heal from what we do not name? Right? How will we avoid making the same mistakes if we don't acknowledge that we even made any? That's not what God is saying here. Okay, this is hyperbole. This is over-exaggeration to prove a point. What is being communicated is God saying, hey, you know the Exodus? You know the most important, the most defining event in your history? It's going to seem like nothing compared to what I'm about to do. It's going to seem like nothing compared to what I'm about to do. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Not just a wandering in the wilderness, but a way in the wilderness. Not just water from a rock, but streams of living water in the desert that utterly transform an environment and give life to all, even the jackals and the ostriches. Womanist Old Testament scholar Vanessa Lovelace notes that the listeners of Isaiah 43 are being given a promise That in time, God will deliver them. God will rescue them. God will bring them out of the land of despair and disappointment. That is the promise of God. And yet, they will not just go back to what was. They will not just go back to Jerusalem as it was. They will not just go back to the way things were. Instead, what is to come will be something new something even better. In the words of theologian Walter Brueggemann, Israel is here urged to get its mind off old things, to focus totally on the new because it pertains to present reality, not to an ancient memory. And because the new is more dazzling and more overwhelming and more massive than any old memory, Biblical faith is geared to the future. It moves always to God's coming miracle that pushes past old treasured miracles and old suffered judgments. Let me say that again. Biblical faith moves always to God's coming miracle that pushes past old treasured miracles and old suffered judgments. Church, we find ourselves here in 2022 in a place that many of us would not have chosen, whether for ourselves or for our world. There's increasing violence and inequality, there's rampant racism, threats to our democracy, there's wars and rumors of wars, a heightening climate crisis, a global pandemic. For most of us, the last two and a half years were an exercise in doing whatever we needed to do to make it through. And we may not have made it through unscathed. Not that there have not been joys and celebrations as well, but I know we carry more cuts and scars and we hold more losses and griefs within us than we ever hoped we would. Howard Thurman made this observation about the parable of the sheep who went astray. He says the sheep was was enjoying his grass. And then when He started feeling chilly. He didn't recall, but the only thing that he remembers is that suddenly he became aware that he was cold, and and there was a throwback in his mind, and he realized he'd been cold for some time, but the grass was good. And then he looked around, and he discovered he was all alone. 
that everybody was gone, that, that is that all the sheep had gone, and he began crying aloud. And then the shepherd who had many sheep missed him when he got back to the fold, and he left his ninety and nine to try to find this sheep that was lost. And Jesus says, God is like that. Shepherd who loves his sheep. And one of the sheep, in doing the most natural thing in the world, and that is to eat grass, did it with such enthusiasm and over a time interval of such duration that he didn't know when the shepherd called and he was lost. Jesus says that God is like the shepherd, seeking always to find those who are out of community with their fellows. And when they have found it, when they have found their community with their fellows, then all the world seems to fit back into place and life takes on a new meaning. It gives me great comfort to know that God is like that shepherd. The one who knows us and loves us and chases after us even when we find ourselves in less than ideal situations through nothing more nefarious than doing what we had to do to make it through. It gives me great comfort to know that there is no judgment there. That instead, as the psalmist reminds us, the Lord catches our tears in a bottle. They do not go unnoticed. This side of Christ's return, there is no expectant look forward to what is anticipated that is pure, that is unadulterated, even when we're anticipating the joy-filled and the joy-bringing actions of God. It's always going to be tinged with grief. It's always going to be touched with sorrow. And still, I believe the words of Isaiah 43 are for us as well. What is to come will be better. There's no going back anyway. So look to God's coming miracle. See what new thing God is doing. We're currently in the middle of a strategic planning and discernment process, which we started back in 2019, but has understandably taken a few detours. Most recently, our team, which is made up of folks from our leadership council, did an exercise in future writing, did a Uh, an exercise in discernment and dreaming, considering who we are and and where we've been and considering where God may be leading us, who we might be in 10 years. Our elders did it too. And we'll we'll share more about that uh, in the weeks and months to come. But as a side note, this is one of the things that I love about our church is that discerning the leading of the Spirit isn't just dependent on one or two people at the top. It's on a community of saints committed to the Lord and to one another. This, uh, this 10-year visioning exercise is an important one, helpful one. Futurist and author Jane McGonigal notes that 10 years is about how long it takes for us to think about how things would look when, if many or most of the things in your life would be different than they are today, about 10 years. It took about 10 years from the first bus boycott to the passage of the Civil Rights Act. It took about 10 years from the first international economic sanctions against South Africa's apartheid regime to a new constitution that enfranchised black South Africans and other racial groups. It took about 10 years from from same-sex marriage being considered controversial when it was legalized in the Netherlands in 2001 to being supported in global surveys by a majority of people in a majority of countries. It took about 10 years from when just 16 million people were using the Internet, mostly scientists and academic researchers, in 1991 to when... one billion people were using it in 2001. It took about 10 years from the first iPhone release in 2007 until the majority of people on the planet had smartphones. 
It took about 10 years from Zoom's first user testing session in 2011 to becoming a critical lifeline for humanity (laughs) in 2020. One of the pioneers of Christian community development, John Perkins, says that it takes 10 or 12 years before you see things change for better in urban environments. And so here we sit. At this juncture between the first five years of Christ City Church and the next five. It feels like a, a halftime talk. <laughs> full disclosure, this, this uh, conversation about the next five was initially dreamed up as a, as a one-month fundraising campaign for our church to set us up well on the path for the next few years. But as I prayed and as I had conversations with folks, it seemed incomplete. It seemed inadequate seemed too small. It seemed too transactional. Today is the official kickoff of a campaign we're calling The Next Five, investing in the mission and vision of Christ City Church. But it will not just be during the month of September, and it will not just be about money. Over the next few months, I hope this campaign will serve as a motivator and as a milestone beginning today as I ask each of us and all of us to make an intentional choice to be part of what God is doing with your time, with your energy, with your resources, including your money. How will you invest in seeing the kingdom of God flourishing in every life and every sphere of life, including your own? including your neighbors, including your colleagues, including your students? How will you invest in loving God, loving others, and making disciples? See, we can't, we can't all volunteer with the fr- same frequency, but we can all serve at least some time and somewhere. We can't all do the same things. We're not gifted in the same ways, but we can all do something. We can't all give the same amount or we can't all give the same percentage, but we can, can all contribute something in response to the blessing of God, joyfully, intentionally, and trusting that God will take whatever it is that we have to offer and transform it into something more. See, over the last five years, we have grown from two full-time staff to five including bringing Jocelyn on board in January as our worship arts director. This is a position we have been praying for for nine years. Took 10 years of prayer to get here. Over the last five years, we engaged in a two-year process of discernment, which led to our posture of full inclusion on issues of human sexuality. We made a significant leadership change with Watson and I swapping roles right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is the best time to make a change like that. (laughs) We've navigated the uncharted, unprecedented waters of said pandemic. 18 months of virtual services before returning to not the way things were, but to hybrid now. And over the last five years, we have given away, because of your generosity, over $350,000 to local and global partners and projects, to organizations committed to the common good through our Advent offerings and to folks in need through our Benevolence Fund. All of that is work that is already done. Work that God already did through folks here and folks no longer here. So if you're newer to Christ City, know that you are stepping into work that others have already been a part of. 
just as we joined efforts in our city that others and the Holy Spirit were already a part of. And if you've been here for any length of time, uh, look around. Folks who've been around, who've served and who've given blood, sweat, and tears and cash. But you've given out of all of who you are. And I want to say thank you. We would not be where we are without you. We are who we are because you have brought who you are. And I believe that God is not done with us. I believe that there is something new. There is something better. There is something deeper and more whole ahead of us. That God is doing a new thing in our midst and inviting us to be part of it. And I want to invite us to imagine together what could it be what would you want to be part of? Because who we are and who we become is connected to who you are and what you do and how you choose to invest and engage in this community, how you are connected to God and to us. We need you and we are less without you. I'm going to be real. We are less without you. I get to see less of how God is at work without seeing it through your eyes and hearing it through your voice. It's been such a privilege to hear the dreams and visions that God has given our leaders. It sparks my own imagination for the possibilities of God. As I listen to others share their hopes for what Christ City might look like in 10 years, knowing that this Sunday was coming, it led me to consider what we might look like in five, the next five, if we all showed up, if we all committed to the core practices that we've been studying over the last few weeks of worship and community and mission, if we all served consistently, if we all gave sacrificially, how might we be transformed? How might we take the next step to the next level for the new thing God has for us? If we all practiced giving sacrificially, perhaps we could institutionalize what is currently largely dependent on occasional giving such as supporting young adults in transition through the Angel Scroggins Memorial Fund or the more vulnerable in our community and our city through the Benevolence Fund, we could expand and build on our advocacy efforts to partner with other organizations and churches making a tangible difference in our city on issues of affordable housing and gun violence. We could more equitably compensate our staff. And perhaps we might be able to find a more permanent space for us to worship and office and minister out of as well. Perhaps we would be a place where, as we worship, people discover the goodness of God and the good news of Jesus' kingdom and the glorious presence of God's Holy Spirit, whether for the first time or for the first time in a long time, and then regularly and frequently and unceasingly. A place where people can know they find a depth and vitality of spirituality that is expressed in our corporate worship together, but it's also expressed in one-on-ones with people who can say with integrity and with humility, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not going to get it perfect. We'd be a people who celebrate baptisms and new life in Jesus as vigorously and as regularly as we celebrate recommitments and refinding faith and healing from past hurts and disarming past triggers, a place where people can enter into the rest of God and discover the healing of God, where people can see and experience the life-giving spirit of Christ. We would be a home for those looking for God, for those who know that there is more than the world has to offer. Perhaps we would be a place where as we practice community, 
genuine, deep, true community. We're, we're more than just superficially diverse. But rather are people who are just and equitable and diverse and inclusive in a way that is and feels as uncomfortable as the limitless grace of God. True representation of God's kingdom coming. We'd be a place where, where our culture is one of learning and growing. It's one of humility and space for the journey. It's one of abundant grace and quick repentance. A people who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and who know that both are part of the fabric of life. We'd be a place folks can feel a sense of belonging and connection, of knowing and being known, of seeing and being seen. Perhaps we'd be a place where others might truly know we are Christians by our love. For God and for one another. And for others. As we practice mission, as we seek to engage as citizens and ambassadors of God's kingdom, both individually and as a community, bearing and sharing the good news of God in our homes and workplaces, in our, work, in our neighborhoods and in our city, wherever we go and wherever we stay. We'd be a place where people discover a passion and a purpose bigger than themselves. That is the very goodness and love of God. We'd be a place where we, all of us here, are formed into better neighbors, better citizens, better co-workers, better friends, salt and light in a world desperate for resilient hope, desperate for amazing grace, desperate for the persevering love and justice of God. We would be even more a church that refuses to run away from hard realities but seeks in the power of God to be part of the gospel solution. Whether that's gun violence and gentrification, whether that's issues of education and equity, whether it's addressing racism and homophobia and all of the internalized biases even in ourselves. We would be a people who defend the image of God in every person, speak up for the voiceless, welcome the stranger, offer healing to the broken and wounded, give rest to the weary and downhearted, stand up for the oppressed and the marginalized, preach good news to the poor, work to break every chain and challenge every injustice and every ism as an affront to a just and loving God. We have already been much of that church. We have already been moving toward those things as God has beckoned us deeper. But this is the next level. It's where I believe God is leading us. It's, it's what I believe God is inviting us into. It's what I believe God is inviting you into. In preparing for today's message, I looked up something that I had written as part of a leadership development cohort I was part of. This was my future story. This was me imagining who I was and what I would be doing 10 years ahead. And as providence would have it, I wrote it in August 2012, 10 years ago. This is how I ended this future story. 10 years ago, referring to 2002, I had just recommitted my life to God. I was returning from my first mission trip and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what God had in store for me. A defining relationship. A path that would lead through three different schools, three different cities, and ultimately to the heeding of a call to pastoral ministry. <laughs> now, this is still in 2012, a little older, a little more self-aware, and hopefully a little wiser, I look forward 
10 years down the road, and I pray that I will continue journeying toward home in God. That I will continue growing in my understanding of life with God as home. And that I will continue inviting others into the home that I have found as we journey together. And all this by the grace of God alone. I do not believe it is a mistake that you are here or that you are hearing this. I hope you have heard the story of a God who has, a God who can, and a God who will. I hope you see how your story is intertwined with God's story, how your story is bound into our story. I hope God is kindling a passion in your soul for the things that only God can do and yet which God invites you to be a part of. Because it won't be the same without you. Would you pray with me?